During Epiphany and Lent here at Kenilworth Union this year, Christine and I are preaching this sermon series called The Unnamed, which refers to the battalion of important but unnamed characters in the biblical story. And so this has given Christine and me an excuse to visit the broad sweep of God's history with God's people and to poke into dark corners of the story that we sometimes forget, including this story about a woman who disturbs Jesus' peace and quiet. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. And a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now this woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and to throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus has been working like a dog for weeks, preaching sermons and healing the sick, and he's exhausted, but to get a little well-deserved R&R, he has to escape his native land, Israel, and go far away to escape all the broken-hearted people that keep banging on his door for help. And so he decides to go to the ancient city of Tyre, about 50 miles northwest of his hometown of Nazareth on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Tyre is one of the oldest cities in the world. It's 5,000 years old today. It was already 3,000 years old when Jesus visited. It's renowned for its ancient architecture and its secure harbors and its exquisite coastline. It was the Saint-Tropez of first century Palestine. And so Jesus goes up there and checks into a little Airbnb on the beach. But even this far outside his accustomed shipping lanes, he can't hide from the horde. So he's trying to catch some rays on the beachside deck, but then he hears a knock at the door, so he abandons the beach book he's reading and goes to answer it and finds yet another supplicant begging for a miracle. Rabbi, help me, please, heal my daughter. And then Mark tells us in the cryptic, arcane medical jargon of the first century that this little girl had an unclean spirit. Now, who knows what that means? Maybe she had autism or maybe she was epileptic or maybe she had asperger's syndrome but whatever unclean spirit means whatever demon means this woman wants it fixed please rabbi help me help her mark tells us that she is of syrophoenician origin which means of course that she's a gentile she's an arab she's a foreigner She's not Jewish. She's not among the chosen people. She is a hyphenated woman. She's a stranger with a hyphen. Mark also tells us that she's Greek, which might refer to the language she speaks. 
And she might have addressed Jesus with her desperate plea in her native tongue. We don't know that Jesus spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic, of course, but he could. It was the lingua franca of parts of the empire when Jesus lived there. So maybe she talks to him in Greek. Now, she's close to Galilee. She knows that Jesus speaks Aramaic. She probably can speak Aramaic herself, but who knows what happened. Maybe she was nervous, so she blurts out her desperate plea in her mother tongue, the language she's most comfortable with. And so with a few quick strokes of his deft pen, Mark paints this vivid picture of the yawning chasm separating this Jewish carpenter and this Syrophoenician woman. She speaks with the language of Aristotle and Alexander and Archimedes, which might mean that she's educated and sophisticated. She comes from one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Jesus, on the other hand, comes from rural Galilee and speaks Aramaic the dialect of hicks and bumpkins and farmers. Her Greek is like butter, as Mike Myers might have put it. Her Greek is as refined as Kate Middleton's English. Jesus, meanwhile, sounds like Yogi Berra or Tony Soprano. She is part of the 1% and he's part of the 99. She speaks Greek. She reads Sophocles and Aeschylus. She worships Zeus and Aphrodite. She drinks ouzo. Maybe she's been to the Parthenon. Jesus speaks Aramaic, reads Jeremiah, worships Yahweh, drinks Mogan David, and visits the temple in Jerusalem. Help me, she pleads in Greek. But Jesus is in a foul mood. She's interrupted his vacation. It is not right to take the children's food and to throw it to the dogs. He rudely and famously responds. When Jesus talks about children, of course, he means the Jews. And when he talks about God, he's talking about the foreigners, the Gentiles, the Arabs. It's not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, don't let the insulting nature of that comment get lost on you. It was not a compliment. It's still not a compliment. You dog, I say to my son when he challenges me to a dollar a hole on the golf course and walks away with $18 every time, every single time, just from sheer dumb luck. You dog. Now, forgive my language, but Jesus comes this close to calling her a bitch. A female dog. But here's where the story gets good and becomes gospel. Look at this pushy mother's response to his blunt, unmannerly metaphor. She doesn't get insulted. She doesn't take offense. She doesn't walk away huffing. Well, I never. She doesn't even argue with it. She enters Jesus' metaphor. She wrestles Jesus' metaphor from his grip like a University of Michigan linebacker, runs the other way and takes it home for a stolen turnover touchdown. Not fair to take the children's food and to throw it to the dogs, you say, sir, I, but even the puppies under the table eat the children's crumbs. Throw me a crumb, rabbi. Throw me a bone. It's all I need. It'll do. Throw me a bone. And then Jesus is just undone. He melts. He's embarrassed. He's abashed. He knows he's been theologically and rhetorically defeated. And he grants her request. And instantly, that troubled little girl is 
hale and whole. You know what? This is the only time in all four Gospels where anyone, anyone wins an argument with Jesus. That's about it. I can't think of any other time, can you? He's so sure-footed and quick-witted. He's almost cocky, and he bests every sparring partner that comes along except this Gentile woman. And I love this story because the gospel happens, the good news happens, not because of the Son of God, but despite the Son of God. The word becomes gospel not on his lips, but on hers. For once, for once, Jesus is the recipient, not the agent, of good news. It was the day Jesus met a hyphenated woman, a Syrophoenician. And when we read this story, we are reminded how much attention and importance we attach to hyphens, right? Even Jesus pays attention to the hyphens because the hyphens tell us who we are. We're African-American or Mexican-American or Polish-American. You fill in the blank with your own heritage. The hyphens tell us who we are, even the Son of God. The New York Times columnist Bob Herbert tells a wonderful story 10 or 12 years ago now tells this wonderful story about Bobby Thompson. You know who Bobby Thompson is, right? Bobby Thompson hit the shot heard round the world that gave the National League pennant to the New York Giants in 1951. October 3, 1951, third game of a three-game playoff. The Brooklyn Dodgers are leading the New York Giants 4-2. Bottom of the ninth. The Giants have runners on second and third. Bobby, St- Bobby Thompson steps to the plate, takes a called strike one, and then hits Ralph Branca's second pitch over the left field wall for a walk-off home run to give the Giants a 5-4 to four win and the National League pennant in 1951. Remember the old recording, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant? By the way, do you know who was in the on-deck circle waiting to bat right after Bobby Thompson that day? 20-year-old rookie named Willie Mays. The Times columnist Bob Herbert is African-American, of course, and on October 3, 1951, he was listening to the Giants-Dodgers game on the radio in his father's upholstery shop in East Orange, New Jersey. And when Bobby Thompson hit the shot heard round the world, Bob's father, Chester, grabbed his mother, Adelaide, then they start jumping up and down and dancing all over the room. And from that moment, Bobby Thompson was Bob Herbert's hero. Bobby Thompson was raised in Staten Island, but he was born in Scotland. So Bobby Thompson is a Scottish-American. He spells his name without a P, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. There was another player on the 1951 Giants whose name was Hank Thompson, with a P. Hank Thompson was black. But Bob Herbert, remember, got his baseball from radio, not from television. So he didn't know Bobby Thompson was white and Hank Thompson was black. And so one day he asked his father, Dad, are Bobby Thompson and Hank Thompson brothers? And Chester laughs and says, No, son, 
Bobby and Hank aren't brothers. You know how you can tell? Hank spells his name with a P. If they were brothers, they'd spell their name the same way. The Times columnist Bob Herbert said it was years before I realized what a terrific thing that was to say to a little kid. The only thing that separates us, brothers and sisters, is a little tiny hyphen. The only thing that separates us, sisters and brothers, is a single consonant, just a P or none. We're all in the same family. And oh, by the way, you know, Mark never gives this woman a name in his gospel. She's just one of a battalion of important but unnamed characters in the biblical story. But at least one third century preacher called her Eusta, which is kind of akin to our contemporary name Justine. And you can hear that it means the just one because Eusta taught Jesus to do the right thing. And this third century preacher named this troubled but eventually healed little girl Berenice. Berenice is a Greek name, and the Greeks pronounce it Berenike. And just like with Veronica from last week, you can hear that part of Berenice's name is the word Nike, which is Greek for victory. So Berenice or Berenike means the one who brings victory. Because of her mother's chutzpah, this little girl wins. 